Hey Sycamore View, it's been such an exciting season of life and ministry in the heart of our church over the past few weeks and I just wanted to remind us of some of the things we've been through and also to remind us as we do every Sunday that we're a church that wants to help people see Jesus. And we did that over the Easter weekend, beginning with the Path to the Cross, where individuals or families or groups could come and hold 30 pieces of silver or touch a crown of thorns or even write their sin on a rock and feel the weight, the weight that Jesus bore for us. It was an exciting time for us also to gather at the foot of the cross later that night for our Good Friday service. We gathered with our church family and community members to say thank you for the cross and forgive us of our sins. And we were also able to lay those rocks down at the foot of the cross in a way to remember that we don't have to carry those anymore and we can leave them at the cross right where they belong. And then early Sunday morning out here in our very own amphitheater, we gathered with community and our family to celebrate the resurrected Lord. And it was a beautiful time to feel the breeze and to hear the birds and to know that our God is alive and that He's bringing new life into us. A few hours later, our children's ministry and youth ministry and their families were able to walk with Jesus through the triumphal entry all the way to the empty tomb as a way to experience what Jesus has done for us. And then at 10.15, we gathered as a church family to celebrate our risen Lord. And one of the most meaningful things that we did was to take a cross, which is the symbol of death, and to put flowers that represent new life and beauty just to remind us that whatever Jesus touches, He brings new life. We put a lot of time and energy into the Easter weekend because we believe that the rhythm of death and burial and resurrection are the rhythm that we need to align our hearts, to stay in with the movement of God. But we believe that as we follow a risk-taking God, we need to be risk-taking people. You see, He risked sending His Son into the world, and He risked inviting us to be a part of His church. And so if we're going to follow Him, we need to take risks. So that led us to our 901 offering where we risked giving up a little of our finances so that others might live and have the ministry funds that they need to do what God has called them to do. And so we raised over $85,000 to bless these ministries, and we pray that they can do more of God's work. And then we were willing to risk our time and energy and resources in a restore day where we provided meals for homeless people and, and cookies for some of our firefighters and police officers and we were able to make care packages for some of our single mothers all in an effort to show that the the kingdom of God is not about meeting and gathering but about going and serving and because three of our strategic partners are schools we have a heavy emphasis on teacher appreciation week and so Shelby Oaks Elementary, Kingsbury Middle, and Kingsbury High School received some support from us. We uh, gave meals and snacks and notes and all kinds of encouragement to the teachers at these schools just as a way to say we love you and support you and thank you for being a partner with us in this community to serve. I remind you of all these things to encourage you. And first we just want to say thank you for being a part of our family. We're so grateful that you're part of the fabric of the life and the ministry of this church. And we're grateful to partner with you in everything we do in the name of Jesus. And we want to live from the power of the resurrection so that we can bring light and life into dark places. So that we can give people hope and a reason to know that they are made in the image of God. And we always, always want to live 
from these events so that we can change the landscape of our city to show people what it's like to, to love and to serve and to encourage all in the name of Jesus. I pray that you're blessed as you live this life in the name of Jesus and we pray that you help people see Jesus wherever you go. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a great video? We'll show, share that on social media later on today. I just, I, I love you. I love this church. I love the journey we're on. And the truth of that video, Kip, that you spoke, that we, 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 take, we take events really seriously. We take Sunday morning seriously, but we want to live from these events just as much as we live for them. We want to learn what it means to be a church that gathers well and cares for each other, but that we also know that we gather so that we can scatter for the sake of the mission of God. Uh, I want to welcome those who are joining us today uh, online. We have people who are joining us from hospital rooms, uh, probably the living rooms of in-laws' homes on interstates. Hopefully they wanted a, a place with no internet connection, but we welcome all of you who join us. Uh, and today we're starting a new series called Core. It's going to be five weeks just talking about core values, the core of just the heart of God, the truth of God. Casey, it's been a pretty crazy week uh, for us. Thursday, we celebrated 15 years of marriage, yeah. which, yeah, give yeah. it a lot. We did it. Um, and then last, last Friday, May 5th, our, our oldest kid turned double digits. We got a 10-year-old, which uh, my wife, Casey, she did not, I don't want to name, you know, numbers of age, but there were certain numbers you didn't really struggle with, but having a 10-year-old, like, did you in? That was really difficult. Yeah. Uh, and, and today's Mother's Day. All right, so for you being a mom now, this is your 11th Mother's Day, your 10th. Uh, um, we have a 10-year-old. And for all the mothers here, we just want to say Happy Mother's Day to you. Casey and I have been blessed with two mothers that from birth to this very day have been nurturers of us. They have poured so much life into us. They have taught us from birth to this day. How they, they've cared for our physical bodies, our minds, our hearts. Uh, and, and something about our moms, they don't just make good moms or good mother-in-laws. Mm -hmm. Like they care, uh, they care a lot for their kids. They do. I mean, I was raised by Karen Rogers. And I was raised by, she's a very, very confident woman. And I was raised to stand up and speak out and to be humble, to be kind. And, and she taught me that, man, junior high girls can be really nasty to each other and um, she was more concerned about me being beautiful on the inside than being beautiful on the outside. So she was, you know, she raised me to be just a, a kind person. I don't do that all the time, but she did a pretty good job. Well, the thing with both of our moms, both of us have dads who were raised in pretty dysfunctional homes. Casey's dad was raised in a home where he never knew his dad. He, uh, at, at a very young age, 11, 12 years old, he was providing for his own siblings because his mother would disappear sometimes. I was, my dad was raised in a family where his father, my grandfather, was an alcoholic until the last five years of my grandfather's life. Uh, and both of our moms, though our dads had a little bit of religion in them growing up, it was our moms that introduced them to Jesus. My mother, um, I, I always knew she was a prayer warrior to the core of who she was, but for most of my childhood, I knew that because of the fruit of her life, because of the character that my mom lived. Uh, but it was later on in high school that I began to experience that firsthand. I, I began to hear my mother pray over her children, over our family. And the way my mom prayed is like opened me up to this intimate relationship with God. Like I, I didn't know you could express yourself like that to the Lord. And it was my mom who taught me a lot of that. Now, 
uh, you and I could go on and on about our mothers, and we know some people here celebrate your moms like we do, but we're also fully aware this morning that this isn't the experience that everyone has. The experience of having a mother who was a great nurturer and who still is isn't the experience for everyone. And we, we realize that to be true. Right. Casey and I were both raised in, in churches um, that were fairly similar. We didn't meet until our freshman year of college. But uh, Casey grew up in the city of Lubbock, which I often make fun of the city she grew up in. It's way out in West Texas. It's flat. Sometimes when I'm driving out there, I feel like maybe I am driving on the surface of the moon right now. All right. It's flat. It's brown. But you grew up in the same church from birth to your dad still an elder at this church yes yes man green lawn church of christ which did not have a green lawn it was very brown all the time in lubbock um but yeah we i mean what i gained the most from my church that i grew up in is it takes a village and it took a village trust me to raise this girl um i had my own parents which were wonderful but then i had five other sets of parents that were raising kids along with my parents, my friends, parents, that if they caught me passing a note or giggling during church, they had permission to come and thump me on the head. Um, And they did that often. Um, They also, you know, if I was struggling and they knew about it, I was guaranteed a hug, a note, someone checking in on me. I feel like our church does that well. Um, A teen in this, you know, congregation has more than just their parents that love them. You have other uh, you know, extra parents, I like to say, that are going to be looking out for you. So it definitely, it took a village for me. And that's, man, I'm so thankful for the church I grew up yeah, in. Yeah, so here's how I learned about Casey's village, all right? Because when we got engaged, we went back to the Green Lawn Church and I was expecting hugs and high fives and congratulations. And what I had were people who would hug her. And then they would come to me with these straight faces like, dude, if you ever say one thing negative to her. <laughs> If you ever break her heart, we're coming for you. And I'm like, how about a high five or a hug, all right? Uh, But yeah, it did take a village. I grew up in the Mesquite Church of Christ, just outside of Dallas. I consider that my home congregation. I was there through middle school, high school, a lot of my formative years. And it was a church, in many ways, I had those same spiritual aunts and uncles and grandparents and spiritual brothers and sisters in a church that poured in us. It was a church that taught me to love the Word of God, a church that taught me uh, how to... Uh, It taught me that evangelism is really important to the heart of God. But here's what happened, all right? Casey and I got married 15 years ago. One year into our marriage, I began preaching full-time. So every weekend, we we began traveling to this place just outside of Abilene, where I was preaching at this hunter-member church. And I remember when the first Mother's Day came around. And uh, Casey and I were raised in churches where they didn't do this every year, but uh, I, I don't remember hearing a lot of Mother's Day sermons growing up, but we were, we were raised in churches where we, we remember the days when a preacher, an elder, someone would step up and, and they would hand out flowers and they would hand out little things to moms and maybe you would have people stand up, like how many of you have been a mom, just became a mom in the last year, how many of you have been a mom for, the, for 10 years, 20 years, 30, 50 years, 60 years, and we would celebrate moms and beautiful days, all right, we remember those. But I, I, it came time for me to preach my first Mother's Day sermon. And I remember just this turmoil inside of me. Because as I was thinking through the people in that 100-member church, even though it was a smaller church, I remember there being two families who were going through divorce, mothers who had lost children. And what I was struggling with in myself was I can't stand up on a stage and force people into this emotion and mood of celebration. So for 14 years, I've wrestled with this, like, how do I celebrate moms? Because we wouldn't exist without them. 
And I don't want to minimize celebrating mothers, but how do we give voice to all the other emotions that gather in a church? So in some ways, it took me 14 years to write the sermon you're going to hear today, all right? 14 years of wrestling with God and Scripture and thinking about the church and all that makes up the church. And it also took elders to bless how you're going to hear this message today. Uh, and I think one thing, too, is I realized that to preach a Mother's Day sermon, maybe the way it needs to be preached and the way it needs to be taught and shared with the church, that uh, I needed a little help doing that because I think it's good for moms to hear from moms, and I, I'm not a mom, all right? True. So, Casey... Um, So we want to share with you some of our lives and our experiences. And ultimately, our goal today is to help usher this entire church into the presence of God, to put Jesus front and center because he's the one that makes all life worth it. So this is a a Mother's Day sermon for all people, all right? Yes. In preparation for this morning, I was writing down what I would want to hear if I were in your place. Um, As a mother sitting in the audience, man, I wish that I could just... I could take your face in my hands and just speak a blessing over each one of you. But we're all here together, and so here I am. Imagine me holding your face or holding your hand and saying, this is what I want for you. This is what I'm asking God to give you. So this is just a blessing from Casey to you, and I'm just going to read this. um, But I I just want you, you can close your eyes, ladies, or or just um, watch me cry. Either way. So this is just a blessing. I want to read a blessing over you. Lord, bless the person who has lost their mother and mourns as they look at the empty chair today at lunch or doesn't receive the call. They wish they could hear the voice one more time. God, bless the mother who has lost a child, young or old. Nothing compares to the unspeakable pain of burying a child. Lord, provide them comfort. Bless the couple who is silently struggling with infertility when it feels like everywhere you look, you see pregnant women. It's just not you. And today is just salt in the wound. Lord, please comfort them. Help them to to be faithful in the waiting and give them peace with your answer. Lord, please bless the mothers who pray and pray and pray that they aren't screwing up their kids. Bless the single mom who works so hard, her children will never realize the strength and effort she expends, getting them out the door for church, attending programs, and using her rainy day fund to buy birthday gifts for their friends. Lord, be the lifter of her head. Bless those who have a strained relationship with their mother. Bring peace, reconciliation, and healing. Bless the mothers who speak highly of the husbands, even when they're not around. Bless the moms who are in the throes of the toddler years. Help them fight off exhaustion, comparison, and really bad advice from older mothers in the grocery store. Give them a sense of the bigger picture that they are raising world changers. And Lord, if you're in... You know, have a feeling and feel like working a miracle. Please make naps a little longer today so she can get a shower before 2 p.m. God, bless the families who foster or adopt, that they can truly be a safe haven. Bless the courage of the young mother who knows she can't raise a child. 
And so out of love for the child, she places her baby up for adoption. Lord, bless the mother who is teetering on the edge of something new, whether that be um, empty nest, um, a child going to college, or becoming a grandparent. Guide her, Lord. Bless the mother who works inside the home and the mother who works outside the home. May she bring glory to your name. Bless the mom who fights on behalf of her children who struggle with mental illness. Oh, and bless the mother who is naturally thin and then those of us who step into our spanks one leg at a time. (laughs) Above all else, Lord, let me be known and let them be known not just for the children they have birthed, but for the supportive role we have played in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, We have learned that the church is a place of many emotions, many experiences. Uh, Sometimes I like to think of the church as like a bowl of seafood gumbo. Casey (laughs) knows my love for seafood gumbo. When I eat gumbo, I like rice. Little beans, a few beans. I like some sausage, some shrimp, a little bit of chicken. And after that, just don't tell me what else is in there, all right? Uh, I just want to eat it, all right? Uh, But a couple of weeks ago, we had a a potluck here at the church. And whenever you go to a potluck or you go to a buffet, I know very few people who go through a line and only load their plate up with one thing. It's, It's like I ended up making my own casserole at that potluck with like eight other casseroles. It just made one. It was great, all right? Uh, and, and when you think of the church, the ch- it's, it's all these people coming from different places that makes the church so beautiful. It's our future in heaven. And here in this room right now, we have maybe four, maybe five generations of people. People from different ethnicities and backgrounds and faith traditions. And some were raised in the south, some in the north, some outside of the states. And we all come in this room like this. I don't know, soul food gumbo coming together in this pie, like bringing ourselves, trying to live into what the kingdom is. So here's how Paul would talk about relationships. And I think this is important on a day like this. So whenever Paul would talk about relationships, sometimes they're called household codes. You have places like Ephesians 5, and it goes into Ephesians 6, where Paul just starts addressing relationship after relationship, husbands and wives, Parents and children, masters and slaves. The same thing happens in Colossians 3 and Colossians 4. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul addresses singles and widows and people who've been divorced. So there are times where he does that. Here's, the, here's what I'm trying to make. If we're not careful in the church, what we do is we, we separate and we congregate into these little compartments where there's the children's ministry, there's the youth ministry, there's the singles ministry, there's the marriage ministry. And then we separate into these little groups because those are the people who understand where we are but if we only hover in those groups what do we miss all right so for Paul he doesn't ever write a book that hey this is my letter to those who were married and and married people need to read this and Paul doesn't write a letter to single people because the single people need to read this Paul thinks it's so important that everyone else hears what is spiritually forming everyone else He thinks it's important for everyone else to know what is challenging for everyone else. So when you read Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3 about husbands and wives, there's not a moment in there when it's like, hey, those of you who this doesn't apply to, go get you a little drink of coffee and come back in a few minutes. It's no, you need to know. You need to know what's spiritually forming marriage is. 
And when it comes to 1 Corinthians 7, married people need to read that and take it seriously of how do we best care for singles in a church because singles make up a lot of our churches now. And if we're not careful, what we do is we treat single people like they're in the minor leagues and then maybe one day they'll step up to the plate and become major leaguers instead of trying to understand them where they are, challenges they face, how we pray for them. The church is richer. Yes. Because we come together with all these experiences and we come together from many different places in life. Agree. My life is richer because of people in my life that are not in my same stage of life. I mean, I have good friends that are single, friends that are widowed, friends that are retired, and my life is so much richer. In fact, I think I have more fun with them than my married friends. But I just, I love having them in my life. In fact, the people I love the most in this church are young women, like teenage girls. Like, I love them. They love me. In fact, they think I'm a better preacher than Josh. And until, until they figure out that that's not true, I'm going to hold on to that with both hands until they figure out that that's not exactly true. But, but I can't imagine life or this church without, if we were all in the same stage, it just wouldn't be as rich. All right, so do you even know the history of Mother's Day? Do you know why we celebrate this? All right, let Casey and I take you on a quick historical journey, all right? In 1948, there was a woman named Anna, all right? And Anna, uh, by 1948, she was livid at what Mother's Day had become. And she was so upset about what Mother's Day had become that she spent the last 25-plus years of her life advocating to do away with Mother's Day as a national holiday. All right, she, it, it was to the point where she... Um, she was uh, going after the government, countless lawsuits. She spent almost all of her personal wealth on legal fees to get Mother's Day off the calendar, all right? But why? Why did this happen, all right? It okay, goes... so this all started a few hundred years ago, all right? With, um, in, in Europe and the UK, they began celebrating what was called Mothering Sunday, and it's like you would go back to your home congregation, kind of like a homecoming. You would go back to your home congregation. There would be a special wor- worship service where you would hang out with people you grew up with and old mentors and enjoy Sunday worship. It was called Mothering Sunday. All right, so Mothering Sunday a few hundred years ago, all right? Okay. But then in the mid-1800s, there was a woman named Anne, not Anna, all right, a woman named Ann Jarvis. She lived in West Virginia. And uh, what she did is Anne started Mother's Day work clubs, and it was an opportunity to teach younger women and local women how to care and nurture for their children. Now, remember, this is late 1850s, early 1860s that she started these Mother's Day work clubs. This is when men were forming union armies, confederate armies. Men and husbands were leaving the home. So they're forming these groups to teach moms how to care and nurture for their home and their community. So that was Mother's Day work club. In 1968, the same woman, Ann Jarvis, it grew from Mother's Day work clubs to what became a Mother's Friendship Day. And Mother's Friendship Day was led by moms, 1868, post-Civil War, and it was an attempt for moms to lead the way to bring together Confederate families and Union families to promote and live in the reconciliation. That's pretty wild, right? So for Mother's Day Sunday, and then it grew into this Mother's work, uh, Work Club, which grew into Mother's Friendship Day. Okay, so go home to your home church, mentoring, reconciliation. Okay, now, it's 1870, all right? And Julia Ward Howe writes this Mother's Day proclamation, all right? This, in, the whole thing is about encouraging world peace. 
And so it takes a while, but by 1873, Mother's Peace Day was launched. All right? right, So so, this is the story. So you got the journey, Mothering Sunday, Mother's Day work clubs, mentoring programs, Mother's Friendship Day, bringing together Union Confederate, and then Mother's uh, World World Peace Peace Day. Day. (laughs) And then 1905, Ann Jarvis passed away. And when she died, her daughter, Anna, Ann's the mom, Anna's the daughter, Anna picked up where Ann left off. And Anna began advocating for Mother's Day because she believed in her mom's vision. Her mom's vision was that mothers exist for the good of the world. So she picked that up and she started carrying it. And she's like, you know, as I look across this calendar, the national holidays in America, this was Anna back in 1905, they are biased towards men. It's time that, it's time that some mamas get some recognition, all right? So, <laughs> I like so she starts pleading, you know. Uh, um, so in 1908, they had the first Mother's Day where she lived. Thousands of people showed up. That was 1908. By 1914, President Woodrow Wilson signed a, a piece making Mother's the second Monday, or second Sunday in May, Mother's Day. It was officially launched. Anna had succeeded. She wanted this to become this great day. Mm-hmm. But not too much longer after that, Anna, the woman we started the story with, the mother of Ann Jarvis, who began this whole Mother's Day deal, was furious. She was so mad and frustrated at what Mother's Day had become. It started off about glorifying the Lord and moving on to mentoring programs and being about the world. And now it's all about how much money can you spend and who can outdo each other. Commercialized. And it drove her crazy. So she spent the rest of her life fighting against Mother's Day. I'm a fan of the commercial. You can buy me <laughs> know, all the yeah. stuff you want. All right, so the point of us even walking through this story isn't to, like, go take your Mother's <laughs> Day presents back. All right? <laughs> no. It's Honey, not that. We gave, we gave you flowers. Do you, get, you get gifts. It's not that. It's, <laughs> it's this. Here's why I think this is important. That the origin of Mother's Day, and it's very core, was that the family existed for the world. That mothers existed for something more than just a family unit. And when we are not careful, when the church isn't careful, we can make the family unit into something that only serves the family unit, and it doesn't serve the good of the world. All right, so I want to say this because I don't want people sending emails to you, all right, because I'm a little defensive of you. It's not that you can't handle emails that come your way. You can handle it. I know you're strong enough, all right? No, I want you to get them. But I want to be the one that says that uh, if we are not careful in the church, we can make the family unit into a form of idolatry where the family unit becomes the center of everything, which is a place only Jesus can hold. Your primary identity is not as a mom or a dad or a husband, or a wife. It's not the family unit, it's Jesus. So if you were to look at the way the word family plays out in the New Testament, you have the family unit that is discussed. You also, more times than that, have the family of believers. It's the church. And it's not family unit versus family of believers. It's not one against the other, or one uh, outdoes the other. It's that they serve one another. It's that they affirm each other. They encourage one another. Yes, and I want to make it clear that, that we believe that God is pro-family, all right? Pro-children, pro-marriage, all right? He is pro-family. But man, the first time the word family shows up in the New Testament is not a Brady Bunch moment, all right? So go with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Mark chapter 3. And we've got it on the screen, too. Mark chapter 3, verse 21 Jesus is at a house and he's teaching and 
his parents have heard, or his mom has heard, and his siblings have heard that he's just gone mad. He's gone crazy. He's been healing everybody, and now he's teaching in houses and calling disciples, and they've come to, you know, set him straight, right, or something like that. Verse 21 says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And then a few um, verses later, in verse 31, it says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And this is Jesus broadening the idea of family, broadening the idea of it's not just about the family unit. It's about something bigger. Who are my mother and brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. All right, so throughout the rest of the New Testament, you have the family unit that is discussed. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. The book of Acts talks about the family unit. When Acts does, it's about families who are devoted to God, giving themselves to God, being converted to Jesus. But as you go through the New Testament too, it's not always about the family unit. It's a family of believers. Galatians 6.10, Ephesians 3.15, Hebrews 2.11, 1 Peter 4.17 is about the family of God. All right, and, and here's the statement that if, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because I believe this to the core. The family unit is at its strongest when it is rooted in the greater family of God, which is the church. True. Uh, the family unit is healthiest when it's rooted in the greater family of God, which is the church. It's not when the family unit becomes the center of your identity and then the church and your commitment to God and, and other people is just a byproduct and something that happens every once in a while. It's that they come together and the church has to take ownership of this. We do. We have to nurture this well because we want marriages to thrive. We want parents to thrive. We want moms to thrive. And we've got to take hold of this, steward it well, care for it, and nurture it because the church is the hope for the world, right? Yes, most definitely. Um, nothing made Jesus more frustrated than the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, as you read through the New Testament, set this bar, this expectation for people, godly people, that was unattainable. You could never be perfect enough. And ladies, hear me say, I feel like our culture has done this to motherhood. And I've personally struggled with it. When I was young, I knew that if the Lord blessed me with a child, I was going to be a great mom. And I had no idea what a loaded phrase that was until I actually got pregnant. <laughs> and I realized, man, you know what? I'm going to be a great mom. I'm going to be a great mom. And I had in my head what that would look like. And as I became a mother and had children, I realized that being a great mom was kind of like a unicorn, like it's this beautiful thing that I'm only going to be in my dreams, right? It was this standard, this high ideal that I would never measure up to. Because when I started having babies, it was right when Facebook boomed. And women were, you know, moms were posting things on Facebook about, you know, their and their matchy-matchy family, you know, pictures with the dresses they smocked themselves. And I was like, never going to happen, right? Um, uh, or posting pictures of them crafting in their free time after they got home from work and making, you know, handprint ornaments. And I was like, never going to happen. Um, 
posts about being in their pre-baby jeans, you know, six weeks after they had their baby, and I just deleted that. Uh, posts where, you know, they, uh, one mother helped her child memorize the whole book of James. I was like, I'm just going to slap the middle James on my youngest child and call it a win. Like, not going to happen. Um, but these were women that I loved, and they're good in and of themselves. But see, what I was doing is I was assuming and thinking that all of these Facebook great moments were their everyday, all the time, constant. You cannot... Compare yourself to everyone's best moments, right? But I, I still struggled with it, and I still felt like I wasn't measuring up and that I wasn't a great mom. Um, this, there's a, a, a slide I, I brought with me because this is so me. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to be a Pinterest mom, but I really honestly am just an Amazon Prime mom. Like, I just am, and I'm okay with that now. But when I was in the comparison trap, man, it was, it was really tough. So one of the best things I've ever done for myself, and I really want you to do, even if you're not a mom, you're just a, a woman, like show yourself some self-compassion, okay? There's an author by the name of Kristen Neff that pretty much coined this phrase, but in essence, it's give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. If I were to come to you in tears, talking about a mom fail moment and say, oh, you'll never believe I'm the worst mom ever. I did this and this and that, this and this. What would you say to me? You would hold my hand and you would give grace and you would say, it's okay. We all mess up and you would love me, right? So why don't we do that for ourselves? It seems like we have these gaping wounds, but we're the ones holding the knife. We self-inflict wounds that shouldn't be there. Give yourself some grace. Show yourself some self-compassion. Do you feel like I'm better at that than I used to be? Self-compassion? Self-compassion? Yeah. It's kind of a loaded question to ask me in front of everyone. It is. <laughs> I mean, you... Uh, so we didn't, we didn't really plan this moment. No. Because if I say yes... Uh, Moving on. <laughs> <all right>. <laughs> hey, <clears throat> here's how I respond. We, we are living in two what it means to be, That's true. for you to live and embrace self-compassion. Is yeah. that good? Because right. I still have those moments where I'm, nice, Josh Ross, <laughs> where I'm struggling with this or that, or things keep me up at night. Anybody else in the room like, oh, or those moments when, and I'm just like, no, honey. And he's learned to do this. I'll say, honey, I really need some encouragement. I'm, I'm struggling with, with motherhood. I'm struggling with being a good mom. And used to, he would say, you're a great mom. And I would say, really? Tell me why you think that. Like, I want specifics. I want you to tell me, like, what I'm good at so I can hold on to that and put it in, in, and, and, you know, drill down deep in my heart and, and plant it there. And so maybe you're the one that's gotten better, not me. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, when I was pregnant with my first child, um, an older lady at church shared some wonderful advice. And at the time, it was like putting on an oxygen mask for me. She said, not everyone's going to tell you this, but you don't have to love every minute of motherhood. And I was like, I'm going to love every minute. Are you kidding me? Because I'm a great mom. And she was like, you know, because people will tell you, oh, hold on, love every minute because it flies by. And it does. It will fly by. But sometimes the years are really short, but the days are really long. 
Mothers, yes, the days are really long sometimes. So she said, you don't have to love every poopy diaper. <laughs> and you don't have to love everything about every, you know, preteen that talks back to you. You don't have to love every minute. But you've got to be faithful in the season you're in. And so I've just tried to stick to that. Those of you who are struggling with postpartum depression, I hear your story. I've lived it. And there's a, there's a darkness that I can't even explain. But I am so very thankful for a loving husband, great counseling, and my happy pills. So let me just say postpartum is a real thing, um, and mothers do really struggle with it. I had a friend that lived across the street when we first moved into Binghampton. And uh, one day she was so frustrated. I was out on the front porch. She came out of her house on her front porch, and she was pacing back and forth, back and forth. She was mumbling and frustrated. And I came over kind of laughing at her, and I was like, what's got you all worked up? And she said, my children are driving me crazy. She had two preteens and a younger child. And I said, what's going on? And she said, they fought nonstop all morning. They're driving me crazy. And I told them, listen, I have taught you the right way. I have told you the truth. I have led you to the throne room of God and and to love each other. And if you continue to fight, well, then that's on you. That is not on me because I I have led you to the throne room of God. And I started laughing and she said, Casey, you're my witness. And then she turned around and stormed off, walked into her house, slammed the door. And I heard her yell to her children, Casey is my witness. And I love that thought, and I've held on to it ever since. That was several years ago because, you know what? Some of you this morning, Mother's Day is really hard on you because all you can think about is the mistakes you've made, all the things you did wrong. But let me encourage you and tell you, if you have loved a child, if you have led them to the throne room of Jesus, you've done something right. If you have taught my child a Bible class, you have mothered my child, even though your womb may have never produced a child. Thank you for mothering in this church. Thank you for mothering my children. Uh, One last little story I want to share. There's a man named Marius, an older gentleman um, that shared this thought, and I'll never forget it. He said, you know, mothers should be the best at speaking truth to one another. Because a woman... Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the first to hold the word of God. She carried the word of God for nine months, and then she delivered the word of God. Truth. So I want to be a woman, and I want to encourage us as women today on Mother's Day to be women who, who give each other the word, who share the truth with each other, Share it with the children of this congregation. Share it with our husbands, our families. Share it with our friends over tacos. Like, let's be people who are are in love with the word of God. So, I guess I want every single woman today to hear hear this. I want want you to hear from your preacher, from, from leadership. I want to help do away with this notion that sometimes we have. Uh, and it's a notion and a thought that um, that basically says for women to become a mother, to be a mother is the crowning piece. It's like the greatest calling that God can give any woman. And I want to do away with that notion. The greatest calling on your life is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's to be a child That's of right. God and to live from that identity. 
you become a mother through what it means to be a disciple. But I don't want every woman here to think that you have to become that to be what God has intended you to be. Mm. Uh, and, and that goes for every person here. You've got to live from that place. Your identity's in Jesus more than anything. Uh, but I also want the moms in this room of NEH to hear us say this morning that this is a church that is rooting for you. We want you to thrive. We want you to be rooted. We want nothing more than to see you live into everything God intends for you as a mother. So hear us say we're praying and rooting for you today. Um, you have anything else? Yeah, um, I wanted to encourage the children in the audience. So if you are a young child, I want you to raise your hand, okay? All right, you're here with your mommy. All right, okay, so what, I, what your homework, what I want you to do over lunch, and, and dads, if you're present, I want you to help them do this. Um, how many of you have ever held children, have ever held a lunchbox? Okay, you know what I'm talking about? All right, it may have a handle. All right, so you're holding the lunchbox. A lunchbox is kind of hard to, to hold or carry if the, if the handle's broken, right? So this is what I want you to do. You're going to put a handle on something to help your mom carry it. Whenever you tell your mom, you're a great mom, that makes her feel all warm and happy inside, right? But if you're specific about it, like I was talking about Josh, when you tell her, you're a great mom because... And then you, her, you tell her exactly how she's a great mom because she teaches me every day. Because she gives me your, your, her time. Mom, I love you because you're a great back scratcher. That's what my boys say. Like, I want specific things, all right? And when you do that, it's like putting a handle on that sweet, lovely thing you said so she can carry it with her the rest of her life, okay? Can you do that? Can you put a handle on it, on something? All right, okay. Help them out over lunch or when you get home to be specific about how your mom's a great mom. And thanks for, thanks for holding on for our journey this morning. Um, let me just end with this. One thing Casey and I have failed to conquer in our marriage is how to fold a fitted sheet. Uh, um, <clears throat> I hate them. We try, but it ends up just <laughs> wadding it up and throwing it in the drawer. Uh, I want you to think just for a moment as we go into a prayer time today, whenever you fold something and put it away and you unfold it, the creases are still there. And every Sunday morning when we come into the church, no matter what day it is, there are people who you have been folding yourself up, sometimes convincing yourself that it's a safe place to be. But what happens is we fold ourselves up and we hold things inside of us, forms of abuse, uh, unhealthy emotions, past mistakes, things that have been done to us, things that have been said to us, a father or a mother who wasn't there, and we can fold up and hold these things in, and they can slowly rot the soul. And I just want to lay in front of you today, something I would lay in front of you almost any Sunday, is that God is in the process of trying to unfold us so that we can lay ourselves bare before God and before the church. And there may be someone today who needs God to do a little unfolding to make a call to a mom that you've been hesitating to make for weeks or months. Or a mom to make a call to a child that you've been hesitating to make. There may be the unfolding of an emotion that you can surrender before the Lord so that God can replace that with something that's much healthier for you. Anne Lamott just wrote a recent book, if you go to this next, and she said, I want to unfold. I don't want to stay folded anywhere because where I am folded, there I am alive. So however God is unfolding us before God today, can we let him do that? 
Whoever's praying this morning, shepherds, will you go to your place? Prayer leaders, will you go where you are? Because there may be a mother, there may be a woman, there may be a marriage, there may be a person who needs to go to a place this morning and ask specifically for strength, health, to rebuke something that doesn't need to be there. And we've created these places for you to go just to receive a word of blessing, a word of prayer. If there's anything you want to bring in front of this entire church, just come and join us right up here. I know we have elders who are here. Casey will be down here to receive you if you just want to pray. If a woman wants Casey to pray with you, let's stand together as a church and let's sing a couple of songs together.